Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the new Football Garbage Time NFL podcast. This is the Super Bowl 52 Aftermath Edition. My name is Sakun Wong. I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me, as always, is senior staff writer Ryan Whitfield. And I have to admit, Ryan, I was a little worried that you wouldn't make it back from Minnesota after the Super Bowl. But you made it back, which is awesome. Thank you for being back here. I won't ask you about the game yet because I know you're fired up about that. And we got to talk about that in a second. But how was your trip? outside of the game yeah the trip was uh unbelievable you know i you know my, my my family all said after it that they were you know sorry they didn't win when you came out here and i said hey you can't control that part you know so uh we made the most of the experience we did a couple of different patriot parties at bars that were hosted in the area the super bowl experience um and yeah just you know in general kind of took in the atmosphere and did as much as possible and uh probably too much drinking during the trip but uh, it, was, uh <laughs> it was a great trip is there really too much drinking on Super Bowl weekend? I don't know. I don't think there is. All right. I, let's, there uh, we got, I did it. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, lots to discuss today, including a brief breakdown of Super Bowl 52 and what we saw were the pivotal moments as well as coaching issues and offseason issues moving forward for both the Patriots and Eagles. So let's go ahead and get started. Well, a number of records were set in Super Bowl 52 this past weekend, including most passing yards in a Super Bowl by Tom Brady of 505, most total yards in a Super Bowl with 1,151, fewest total punts in a Super Bowl with just one punt, and most missed point-after attempts in a Super Bowl with four. Unbelievable. Unfortunately for the Patriots, they also set the record for the most points by the losing team in the Super Bowl with 33 and did not set the record for the most Super Bowl wins. Shockingly, the Eagles led the whole way until there was only 922 left in the game, but the score was never out of reach, and as we saw in Super Bowl 51, certainly not out of reach for the Patriots. Final score, Eagles 41, Patriots 33, Justin Timberlake 0, as this halftime show was a big non-event for the second time. So I want to dive into some questions about the game next, but before I do that, uh, I don't know if you about, about you or anybody else that's listening out there, but today I was paying attention to college football, actually, not NFL, since it is National Signing Day. Big changes abound as Alabama's vaunted secondary is essentially all going to the draft, including standout Minka Fitzpatrick. And Georgia's looking to seriously shore up their secondary, so cornerbacks were much of the focus today. Now, Alabama landed top cornerback prospect Patrick Certain Jr., but Georgia won out, ranked first with 26 commits. Uh, this year, and as a side note, our beloved Notre Dame was ranked ninth with 27 commits. But what this all means, of course, is that there'll be a number of high-end cornerbacks in the draft coming up, including Jer Alexander from Louisville, whom you tweeted out, Ryan, you thought might go to the Patriots late in the first round. Now, I know this is related to the Super Bowl, so let me tie it on back. Does this have anything to do with the entire Malcolm Butler situation? Well, it has everything to do with it. <laughs> I mean, Malcolm <laughs> Butler's uh, clearly gone. Um, because of uh, Bill Belichick's uh, ego and, and antics, which we can dive into more later. But, uh, yeah, you know, the first thing I did today is I kind of start my draft prep now that the season's over. And uh, so I started looking through uh, through the cornerback list and see who was available and, you know, who's going to go in the draft. And Alexander's a kid who two years ago might have been the best corner in college football, but spent basically all of last year uh, injured with two different injuries and missed most of last year. So his draft stock's a little bit down right now. Um, so he's a guy who potentially could be there late in the first or uh, the beginning part of the second round when the Pats are picking. Mm-hmm. So tell me, 
let's let's hear you hear what you have to say about Malcolm Butler because as you said, it has everything to do with Malcolm Butler, uh, and of course that ties into it, Bill Belichick and all the rest of the coaching staff, maybe even Matt Patricia. What are your thoughts about that entire situation? So it's been 72 hours, which is more than enough time to kind of take the emotion out of the decision. And with that said, um, you know I stand fast with what I tweeted out uh, drunkenly and angrily on Sunday night that I've since deleted <laughs> due to the language. Um, right. But uh, me and my friends have had a couple different chat groups going about it since, and I would like to see Bill Belichick removed as the head coach of the New England Patriots. Um, wow. That's not hyperbole. That is that does not take away from who he is or what he's done. Love you, mean it. Bye bye. See you later. You cost wow. the team a Super Bowl. In our pre-show here, when me and you were talking, you mentioned uh, you had a friend who took who took a while to get over the Seahawks loss. That was one play. You had 72 plays to correct to pull your head out of your ass, and you left your number two <laughs> corner over there. And the whole reason is that, it, that it's maddening is because I hear about this performance. It was performance-based, and, 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 you know, and, and you know, there was the other rumors, but a lot of it's now come down to it looks like it was performance-based. And what, what, what would you grade Eric Rowe's performance in that game? <laughs> was that, was that, was, it was performance-based that he was in there? Pat, Patrick Chung, who couldn't guard me, was in the slot? It was ridiculous. Yeah. It is. He literally cost him a Super Bowl. And I talked to my friend from Philly, who I mentioned a couple times uh, the last week when we were doing our show. Um, right. I talked to him last night. I said, "Hey, look, like this is to not not to take away from from the the Eagles. And I'm not saying that the Patriots, you know, butterfly effect. If Malcolm's in there, maybe it's a completely different game. But the point is, you lost by one score, and you left your number two corner on the on the sideline when you couldn't stop anybody. And it's all because Belichick's been pissed at him." since the preseason, when he wouldn't take his garbage offer, his t- whatever it was, his like sub-$10 million offer because he was a restricted right. free agent, and Jack's attitude and his ego is, I made you. And Malcolm Butler, who was basically paid for, played for, for chump change, you know, $600,000 the last couple years, who's been nothing but a perfect Patriot, been the starting corner in a Super Bowl, was, the, was a role player who won you the other Super Bowl against the, the Seahawks. That's the guy you want to take to the, you want to, you know, take to the wire there, that you want to treat like that. And then you, and then you're mad at him all year, and he has, Belichick has too much power. It's the second decision he messed up that's really going to hurt the franchise this year. The other one, trading Garoppolo for a bag of footballs. Uh, you know, these <laughs> ones inflating. And, and so you do both of those things this year, both out of spite, both out of malice, both out of ego. I'm done. See you later. And when, when McDaniels retracted last night, I texted my, my boys again, and I said, oh, my God, it's happening, because I really thought it was going to happen. I'm still holding out hope. I would like to never see Bill Belichick on the Patriots sideline again. I'm done. Wow, that is, that is uh, that's pretty serious coming from a Pats fan, and all that Belichick has meant to the organization. Uh, and I, you know, it's hard for me to disagree with what you're saying. And, and let me just go ahead and back up uh, some of the things that you're saying here, because uh, honestly, I feel that Belichick, if he says it's football reasons, he should back that up. I mean, I know he doesn't owe us anything, but he owes the fan base some explanation as why he thinks these are football reasons. Because honestly, if you look at what Malcolm Butler has done over the years in 2015. He was named to the Pro Bowl, uh, and in 2016, he was named to the NFL's top 100 players based on his performance in 2016. His numbers this year in 2017 were no more than 10% off of what he did in his Pro Bowl season. So, you know, quite frankly, he's played 97.8% of the snaps. He's been there the entire time. He's not bad. You know, he's not bad. He's not any worse than he was uh, two years ago when he made the Pro Bowl. And honestly, the impact on not just him and your defense, but all the other guys on the defense. Stephon Gilmore, who came out afterwards and said, well, gee, I I found out the same time you all did. That's not good. Devin McCourty, who said, 
you know, I'm sure it totally crushed him. I'm sure that was on his mind as well. And even Eric Rowe, who said, yeah, definitely we could have used Malcolm Butler's help. All those people on the field are affected by the fact that you did not play your guy who's been there for 97.8% of the snaps. And last, I will also say that who did they, they had to play a third cornerback and who did they put in there as their third cornerback? It was, you know, I had to even look him up because I had no idea who this guy was. Johnson Batamosi. Johnson Batamosi. He's a first year Pat. He, he was on the lions last year. He's, he's in a sixth year. His combined stats for his entire career doesn't come close to what Malcolm Butler did in one year, just this year. And then he was burnt dramatically by Nelson Aguilar, allowing him to catch nine, no 11 targets for 84 yards out of the slot. So anyway, the point being that um, I agree with you here, none of this made any sense to me. And as I wrote in my article, which I I brought out there immediately after the Super Bowl, because the one thing that really hit me, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, sometimes I think that Bill Belichick was being, Smarter than he had to be, so to speak. He's trying to outsmart himself, and that's what he did here, I think. You know, don't 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 fix something that's not broken. All right. So I, I will say that entire Malcolm Butler thing really is going to be an issue off season. He will certainly not be back, and you are correct. I think the Patriots will go after a cornerback. It'll be interesting to see how that all sorts itself out. But let's go ahead and turn to the next issue here. I want to ask you because there were a number of things that went right and went wrong for the for the Patriots. What was the pivotal moment for the Patriots, do you think, you know, aside from Malcolm Butler being on the field, do you think if it was changed, could have changed the outcome of the game? Um, I mean, there's a whole sequence in the in the first half, and again, uh, you guys got to bear with me tonight. Um, I was pretty uh, <laughs> inebriated during that game, um, right. and I don't have the stomach to go back and watch it. I'm not, I'm not being professional, and I won't. I'm not watching that game. I didn't watch a Giants yeah. game for six years until they got back in it against the Giants for four years. All right, everybody check back one. in in six years where Ryan breaks down <laughs> Super Bowl 52. <laughs> uh, with, that, with that said, um, there was that sequence in, it was late first quarter, early second quarter, where they, they drove in, um, missed the field goal, and then they came back and they had the fourth and five, um, you know, missed. And in a game where you can't stop the other team, that turns out to be pivotal because you had to score in yeah. every possession, every chance you had, and they didn't do it. And, you know, as much as I like McDaniels, and when McDaniels came back to the Patriots, I was uh, not high on him. I thought he gets too cute. He tries to do stuff sometimes that I, I'm not understanding why in that moment he's choosing uh, to flex that play. And I think for the most part, he's gotten that out of his game. Uh, in this game, it you know, and sometimes it does it does rear up a little bit, and it did in this game. So this is the pivotal sequence right before the missed field goal. Everyone will remember the Brandon Cooks jet sweep where, you know, there's questions. Right. Why didn't he take it to the corner? Why did he cut it up and whatever? Um, I think that's just a lot of Patriot people around here just want to blame everything on Brandon Cooks. Um, the right. real issue there is you have the greatest quarterback of all time who – had an unbelievable Super Bowl, and during that sequence, they get it, whatever it was, uh, first and ten around the 15. Run to James White, run to James White, sweep toss to Brandon Cooks, miss field goal. Yeah. You had the ball at the 15 with the greatest quarterback of all time. He doesn't run a single pass play. Okay, you come back down the next time. It's third and five. What do you do? Oh, 
perfect time in a, in a one-possession game to break out the, the, the quarterback throw here. The Do you trickery. think they would like to have used that maybe maybe at some point in the second half when it was a little bit more of a dire situation and really had to have it instead of third down in the freaking first quarter or second quarter, whatever it was at that point? So you do yeah, that, and then a fourth yeah. down, you throw you throw a deep out route to, to Gronkowski, one of those, which is one of my, my least favorite plays. It's like, it's like when it's fourth and goal, you know, like the Falcons against the Eagles two, uh, three weeks ago. Um, mm. It's fourth and goal, and you throw a fade route. I hate that play. It is such a low percentage play. It's the same thing right. in basketball as the ice snow and huck up a three at the clock. Like, run a design play. So that sequence right there, two possessions, no points. You've been, you've been moving the ball all over that Eagles defense, and you did the rest of the night after that. And that was where they got that little bit of a lead in the cushion. You finally made your run to take over the lead. They come back and score the final nine points game over. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback a little bit on that as well because I think there are a number of pivotal moments. And, I, I, you know, I, everyone goes to the Brady fumble uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. I, I don't think that was it. I mean, I think that was obviously important, but that wasn't it. Uh, I agree with you is that entire sequence. And, and I am going to actually say this, and I know that a lot of people might disagree, but I think that missed catch by Brady was 12, you know, that, that was, that could have been the pivotal moment for me. And I know it's not like a big deal uh, in the greater scheme of things, but I broke it down. And I looked at it and, you know, 12 four left in the second quarter, the Patriots, you know, they're down nine to three Pat's defense inducing the first punt of the night. That was the first punt and the only punt of the night, but the Pat's defense got a three and out out of Philly. Brady was unable to kind of like haul in and I, it was a little high. Absolutely was a little high. Danny Amendola tossed it, but there was tons of green in front of him. If the Patriots subsequently turned that into um, into a uh, first down, it would have been a different story. Because what happened, as you said, it, they turned it over on downs. Eagles took it back for a touchdown going up 15-3. to Now, if Brady had caught that pass, that drive should have ended in at least a field goal. Might have eaten up at least another minute and 30. If they did eat up more than a minute and 30, Eagles couldn't have gone down the field and scored their third touchdown of the night right before the end of the half. And in a particularly confidence-inducing fashion, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, in other words, the score could have been tied, Patriots 15, Eagles 15, at that moment. And, you know, I, I don't want to make a bigger deal out of it than it, than it than it should be. But, you know, hey, I'm just saying, if you want to look at one thing, they could have changed the, the entire dynamic of the game going into the second half. That could have been it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I would say overall I agree, but that's, you know, it's, my, it's still my same frustration with the call, that it wasn't a had-to-have-it moment. You know, right. it, it's a waste of a play in a, in a pivotal kind of early moment uh, of that game, you know, early first half or, you know, the, the first half of the game. The the person that you needed to make a catch because, you know, um, like you said, it's a little bit high, but you would say in most catch situations you have to catch that. Except for yeah. I think Brady has two clear receptions. So not exactly the guy <laughs> I want a third and five who has to make a catch. That's why it's third stupid. Five, yeah. That's why it's a tough yeah. play. It's why McDaniels, McDaniels got out-coached in that first half, and he called a brilliant second half. So I'll give him that. Yeah. But that play was yeah. so stupid. It was so stupid to waste it there, and it was so stupid that that, that Brady, that's a, that's a play you run on second and two at midfield. You don't run that on a third and five have-to-have it yep. moment. So dumb. Yep. So unbelievably dumb. Right, so I totally agree with that. <laughs> no, I guess we can talk about that all night. But let's go to turn to the next topic I want to talk about, and that's, I'm sure your least favorite, the Philly special. The Philly special that they ran, that we just alluded to, that they ran at the end of the first half on fourth down. Um, a really interesting play there that uh, ended up working out for them. Um, now, I will say this about the Philly special, cause I, and I will say this because I'm a Bears fan, but also because, hey, guys, give credit where credit's due. That was actually a Bears play two years ago in the very same 
uh, in the very same stadium into the very same end zone. That's right. It was exactly the same play. <laughs> of course, Matt Barkley was involved. Obviously, he's not a good quarterback. But it was a very same play, ran into the same end zone uh, in the same stadium. Uh, it wasn't called the Philly Special. It was actually called the Clemson Special because guess what? Clemson actually created that five years ago. So come on, Philly. Call it, what you're, call it where you got it from. It's the Clemson Special. Uh, now, interestingly enough, uh, guess what? Guess who was on the field during the time that the Bears ran it two years ago? Yep, it was Alshon Jeffrey playing exactly the same role as he played last time. And, of course, on the Bears staff with uh, then-offensive coordinator Dowell Logans was now current Eagles receivers coach Mike Rowe. So, hey, guys, I know you got it from Chicago. You're welcome. All right? Just saying. So let me ask you this. Do you think the Philly special had a significant impact on the game and the way they got that touchdown? Or do you think that uh, it doesn't really matter if they, they got the TD, they got TD, it doesn't, doesn't change anything how they did it? Well, I'll say a couple things here quickly. One, uh, you are incorrect. They did not get it from your Bears. Brady and the Patriots actually ran that exact play against them back in 2015. Um, and it was actually one of Brady's two career receptions that I just cited. Even uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with the Bears play, but even the the whole faking like he's he's yelling at the at the left tackle as or the right tackle there as he goes out. So um, it seems like they all stole it from Clemson. But uh, okay, all right, we'll go back to Clemson against them just two years That's ago. Fine. Um, we'll go back to Clemson. But the way that they scored it didn't change anything. But what it did do, and you would think I'd be mad about this play, but I'm going to take a positive spin for a second because I've been okay. telling you how wrong you and everyone are for years, and it, and it, and it, and it, it played out here. <laughs> Let me ask you, yeah. I know Lickner had that one touchdown run, but take that touchdown run out on a play where he just bullied his way through. Aside from that, did, did, the, Eagles, did the Eagles run the ball? Did the Eagles possess the ball and hold the Patriots? Or did the, did the Eagles come out and say – especially with Malcolm Butler out, were they smart enough to come out and look? Because the Patriots for years have had crappy third-corner play and fourth-corner play, and Patrick Chung really can't cover anybody. Did the Eagles come out, especially once Gilmore went on Jeffries, they said, well, no, we're just going to stay away from that matchup because uh, uh, Gilmore can shut him down. We're going to attack yeah. the guys who suck, and we're going to step on their throats, and on fourth and goal at the end of the half, we're going to risk not getting any points because if you just kick field goals all day and try to possess the clock at the end of the game – Brady's going to have a chance to beat you, and he's probably going to beat you. Now, in this game, you probably still would have fumbled. You know, still the strip sack probably still would have happened. But I digress. The point is that that is the kind of play that beats the Patriots. That's what you. That's Baltimore Raven-esque right there. That is, we have a chance to get up on them. We're going for it. We're going to do it. And they did it, and it worked. And it's proved right, like I said, a thousand times. Jacksonville tried to run the ball, possess the clock, limit Brady's possessions. They don't win. Right. The Eagles came in and said, your defense can't stop us. We're going to be aggressive, not dumb aggressive like the Falcons when the tides are to turn, but like aggressive when they could be and cautious when they had to be. And they did that. And instead, it, what they did was in a game where Brady threw 505 yards, three touchdowns, and zero picks, they won by eight points. So hats yep. off, kudos to the Eagles. I don't think the way it happened uh, had an effect, but it's more of a, uh, a symptom of a cause that, uh, you know, that, that doing that showed that they, they had a clue of how to actually to manage and execute in this game, and they did it. Yeah, Philly looked like they were playing with found money. Let me just say that. They looked like they were playing with found money. They went out there, and they just left it all out there, and they just went, just went for it. And, uh, and, and nothing – and, you know, that Philly special obviously was called by Nick Foles. I, I don't know if you've seen the ESPN footage of it yet. He, he just runs – he jogs over to the side, talks to, looks at Doug Peterson and says, Philly, and he looks at him and says, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, I mean, they were, <laughs> they were like, listen, let's, we're, we're, we don't, we're lucky to be here right now, and we're just going to enjoy it. Let's just, let's just run the play and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I will admit, I was wrong. I, I kind of felt like 
we could they could take advantage of the uh, Patriots' run defense. They could try to, to to possess the ball a little longer, play a little bit of control. Not completely, not completely, not like the Jaguars, because we know that didn't work for the Jaguars. But I thought they would do that a little more, and they didn't. They did not do that at all. Now, when they did run the ball, they ran it pretty effectively. Um, but honestly, they did, they definitely attacked those corners, and they and it really worked out for them. All right, let me uh, let me go ahead and, and flip it over here, and and, I'm, and I'll also say that in line with what you're saying, you know, the fact of the matter is in the second half uh, that was quite the adjustment, and the adjustment was partially just throw the ball to Gronk because he's going to make plays, um, but there was a sequence there where it was like three touchdowns in a row by the Patriots, and the Eagles responded with a touchdown, then they responded with a field goal, and if they if they were going to trade field goals for touchdowns, we've said this all year round, that's not going to work with the Patriots, and. Honestly, I thought that with less than two, with a little over two minutes left, that that was uh, that wasn't going to be enough. That that field goal damn wasn't going to be enough. So, so there you go. Anyway, the point being is that uh, it was a it was a very close game. It was very interesting. But now we're past it. Uh, kudos to the Eagles, first a nat- first Super Bowl championship. Uh, kudos to Nick Foles. Lots of things for them to talk about in the offseason. But now we have something else to talk about, and you already made it allu- you alluded to it, and that is. Josh McDaniels, who uh, was spurned, has just spurned the Colts yesterday, <laughs> cleaning out his desk, actually. Bill Belichick apparently caught him there, told him that he would be involved with personnel and cap management decisions, and Kraft said, hey, we're, you're our guy in the long haul. Wink, wink, Bill Belichick is still in there next year, so you're not going to get your wish, it doesn't look like. But Josh McDaniels, you know, what do you think about this entire situation of Josh McDaniels? Take it from both sides. How do, what does this mean for him going forward in the Patriots? And how does this impact the Colts? Yeah, so first I'll say, you know, uh, in regards to it doesn't look like Bill Belichick's going to be out this year. Um, it didn't look like McDaniels was going to be here 48 hours ago. So uh situation <laughs> still seems fluid to me. I'm still holding out hope. Um, right. I'll start on the, on the nicer end of things. Um, for McDaniels, um, this, I know, I know everyone's coming out saying there's no assurances. And like you said, it looks like Belichick's going to stay here. I also saw right. an article today that said Belichick, um, said he's going to start training McDaniels on how he views the salary cap, how he views right. the financial planning and all this stuff, which means yep. he's prepping him. Um, there's no way in hell, for, whether it's for Brady, at a loyalty to Brady, Belichick, Kraft, whoever, um, you know, it's certainly not that crap you're hearing about that his family's more comfortable here. I mean, he literally yeah. just poisoned his own well. No one will ever right. hire this man again unless he get, unless he works for the Patriots. So. Yep. Or the other plausible scenario that somebody brought up that I think people are discounting um, where he still does have an option open is if Nick Casario ever does leave the Patriots and is the GM somewhere, that could be a situation <laughs> where, where he gets a job because he has a personal relationship with Casario. Uh, but right. outside of that, um, yeah, I mean, no one's hiring this guy. You only get two chances. It's pretty limited. When you pull that on your second chance, um, that chance that you're getting another another team to bite, especially when the Patriots <laughs> go so deep in the playoffs and they got to sit around on their hands and wait. Um, so, right. you know, for McDaniels, I think it, all, all the signs are pointing he's the heir apparent here in New England. Um, I think that's clear. I think we all felt that. Um, we're hoping for that around here. Uh, you know, I think he's grown and developed as a coach, and I think that he can handle the reins. I know a lot of – some people around here are still uh, wary of who he used to be and uh, think that he's only been successful because of Brady. But I look at overall the, the relationship he's built, the game plans he's called, and the different, uh, the, the differentiated game plans he called for uh, Jacoby Brissett last year and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think, he, I think he'll be uh, a good head coach. As far as what it means for the Colts, don't give a bleep. That's what you get. And this is not because of the flake gate. Like you would think a Patriot fan would say, like, oh, this is revenge. Um, no. 
No, this is revenge for you keeping Chuck Pagano and Ryan Grixon hired three years later than I told you to fire them. That's on you. You won't (laughs) wait around this long. You want to keep those two bobo idiots who destroyed your team, ruined your franchise quarterback. For those of you who aren't aware, there's reports out that he might miss another season. So you get what you deserve. You want you want to, you pill popping. This guy still thought it was 2012. That's how whacked out he is on medicine. So he didn't even realize how much time had gone by and Andrew Luck hadn't played a game in a year and a half. He might be going down for another surgery and out for two and a half years. Like, good luck, Andrew Luck, ever being who he was again. So this is what you get. You want to run your organization like crap, like, like a drug addict who's not paying attention. This is what you get. This is what you get, Lucky Sperm Club. So I have no empathy for the Colts. It was it was a, 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 an a-hole move by McDaniels, uh, especially to the coaches. He started to already pull away from other positions yeah. that had given yeah. up for him. You know, so so for them, I feel bad. For the Colts organization, you reap what you sow. You left Grigson there too long. You left Pagano there too long. You painted yourself into a corner. Now sit in it. Yeah, you know, I and and uh, I I kind of feel that way as well. But I do feel bad uh, about their defensive coordinator Matt Everfluss. I mean, he obviously didn't deserve to have to go over there, study film, sign it, and then find out later on that the guy who brought him in is not coming anymore. Um, it's going to make it for an incredibly awkward situation next year with whoever they decide to hire as their head coach. Um, you know, and, and obviously, I, as much as I think this is a, a nice comeuppance uh, for the Colts and for all the things they did poorly um, over the years, as you've just pointed out, uh, the fact of the matter is, it is uh, it's a real, you know, I mean, excuse my French, a real dick move by McDaniel's, <laughs> just about face at this point in time. Uh, you're right. He even his own uh, even his own agent just basically left him. But then again, his agent also, you know, represents some of the Colts. So you know, hey, it, it's a little bit of an interesting move. But anyway, the point being that uh, it's going to really impact them because they're kind of late to the game now, looking for a head coach. Um, but you're right. They have a complete rebuild in front of them. I don't think Andrew Luck, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with him. They came out today and said that the reports are wrong. He's going to be ready. But, hey, that's what they said last year. It didn't happen. So who knows what's going to happen there. Ready for week one. Did you see him? <laughs> yeah. He was, great. he was great in week one sitting there on the bench. Really, really, really good. <laughs> um, all right. So that is Josh McDaniels. All right. What's the biggest offseason question you have for the Patriots? When can we fire Bill? <laughs> <laughs> there you how, go, how, folks. <laughs> how, long, how long do we have to? We got to start finding. We got to start looking for an offensive coordinator, or maybe we'll just promote Chad O'Shea. O'Shea. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean it, the the biggest offseason question. I mean, there's there's personnel decisions to make for sure. Um, right. You know, but the biggest the biggest question here is, you know, you, you see how that Seahawks lock, locker room didn't recover. Like I said earlier. And uh, it's not an original take. I forget who said it, but it might have been even a caller on one of the sports substations lately. But, uh, yep. you know, one one bad play for the Seahawks almost you know, pretty much disbanded that, um, you know, ruined that locker room. This was 72 yeah. bad play decisions. Um, right. And you, you've, seen, you've seen the schism it's created. Um, I've heard people this week, you know, around here, Patriot Bobo uh, reporters circling the wagon said, oh, they said this one, Lauren Malloy, when they cut Lauren Malloy. They cut Lauren Malloy in preseason, the idiots. It wasn't the same thing. If they if he had cut Lori Malloy the week before the Super Bowl, it probably would have turned out a lot different. The first time ever he called this a world championship. Um, so there's a lot going on in there. And, and you know, I'll say quickly, um, I'm so relieved he decided to stay. And I think it's because Belichick probably told him he's not going to be here long term. But I think Greg right. Schiano is an absolute doofus and overrated. And I did not want him to be the defensive coordinator. And he was about to do the same thing. 
to, to, uh, he was about to create another schism last year. Wouldn't resign his own guy Malcolm. Brought in Gilmore, gave him all this money, and pissed off, pissed him off, and got worse performance out of Malcolm all year. And now Brian right. Flores looks like he was going to be the next guy in line for the defensive coordinator, and he was going to go hire Shiano and keep Flores right. as, as the linebacker coach <laughs> and overstep him and piss people off again. The guy's ego's out of control. It's enough. So thank God Shiano wow. turned it down. Look Hopefully Flores is the one who gets promoted. That's what I'd like to see. And then they gotta they gotta fix it. Last thing I'll say quickly: the biggest issue on the Patriots is lack of young talent right now. They, yeah. Someone brought this Most up definitely. today. Name name a key player on the Patriots under 25. I'll save you the time. You cannot. They are an old team now because <laughs> the last two years they've had one pick, one pick in the first two rounds last year. His name is Cyrus Jones, and he sucks. So they, they had no pitch in the top six the last few years because they got caught cheating again and because they traded one away for Brandon Cooks. They've got to use some picks early, and I would even consider trading somebody to get another early-round pick. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, let me just go ahead and turn to the Eagles side real quick because we only have a, a minute and a half left now. But they are all set. Actually, all their guys are pretty much lined up for multi-year contracts, so they might be actually getting back there. And then they have Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. It's basically a really good situation to, to have here. What are your thoughts on Nick Foles? Do you think they should trade him because his, his value will never be higher than right now, or do you think they should keep him on the payroll? Yeah, once again, not an original take. I saw this on Twitter somewhere. I forget who to give credit to. But, um, you know, this couldn't have worked out better for the Eagles. You lose Carson Wentz and your season's over. Nope, Foles steps in. You win a Super Bowl, and now you can trade Foles for probably a first-round pick. So yeah. um, there's no reason to hold on to him as a backup. I've heard the insurance thing. Like, you don't, you don't need that kind of that, – that's expensive insurance. That's, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're insuring a house when you have an apartment uh, if, you right. keep, uh, if you keep Foles. So I would, I would move him, bring in somebody else. If Wentz isn't ready to go at the beginning of the year – let that guy play a couple games. You'll be fine. That that defense is loaded, and that's a dynasty in, in the making there. Yeah, I think they're going to be back in, in the in the mix of things again next year with Carson Wentz at the helm. So they have a lot of good years ahead of them, uh, Philly fans. And Nick Foles should be traded. Uh, and, hey, hey, heck, he should be a starter somewhere. You know, I think he's kind of earned it at this point. All right, that's all the time we got. Ringing the bell. We actually only got 20 seconds left. Give us your Twitter and Instagram, and we'll move on. Instagram, football underscore garbage underscore time. Twitter, at Ryan Whitfield, N-E, and check out DraftingSleepers.com. All right, and you can follow me at FB Garbage Time. And we will be back next week, and we'll be talking about more things offseason and maybe a little bit of fantasy football. There's some interesting things we're going to be talking about coming up. Until next time, enjoy the offseason and uh, enjoy, the, uh, enjoy the victory, Philly fans. <laughs> Way to burn down your city, you animals. Bunch of animals in Philadelphia. Come fight me.